Welcome to Next Gen Sunday. What's Next Gen Sunday? I am so glad you asked, Finn. Today, the kids are taking over. So sit back and relax and let the experts lead the way. And don't worry, today you might actually learn something about God and have fun. Like we do every single week. Today is week two of Pastor Dad's sermon series, Church Words. The word of the day is sanctification. Sanctification. Smantification of the day. Sanctification. Sanctification. Oh, vacation. Sanctification. Oh, I think I got it. I got it. Sanctification. We had an amazing day on Baptism Sunday. Do you want to get baptized? Let us know. You know us kids, we love our water days. Hey parents, sign up those youth for the life trip today. For just 10 bucks, we all get a break from them. I do not know how Pastor Addison does it. In two weeks, it's our end of the summer party, complete with a water slide for you parents and a taco truck for us kids. If you'd like to give money to my dad, I mean Prodigal Church, you can do so on our website. Thank you for your generosity. Hey, happy sixth birthday. Whoa, 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 slow your roll. I'm not turning six. You're turning six. 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 Ugh. I'm not turning six. You're turning six. I'm not turning six. You're turning six. Atonement or to atone. Salvation. What is it? How do I receive it? Why do I need to receive it? But this it? is the will of God, even your sanctification. Shout glory to God, somebody! We are so lucky to have such great kids here at Prodigal. Okay, they are so fun. They're so good. So you parents have done such a great job raising them, and you probably don't hear that enough. We are also so lucky to have great people leading our PC Kids ministry and our Prodigal Youth. Pastor Brittany leads PC Kids, Pastor Addison, Prodigal Youth, and they have done such an amazing job. Uh, today is also Promotion Sunday, so your kids will move up one grade level in our ministries. So some of our elementary kids will move up to youth, and speaking of youth, they're heading up to Milton Lake after church today, uh, so you can sign up on the Prodigal Church app or our website. Welcome to week two of our sermon series, Church Words. We're exploring some churchy words that perhaps we've heard or we might have at least a vague knowledge of what it means or we have no idea what it means. Words like atonement. That was our word last week. If you missed it, you can watch it on the Prodigal Church app. It really was a great Sunday. Today, we'll explore the word sanctification. Okay, that's the noun. It can also be a verb. God will sanctify you. Okay, have you been sanctified by the blood of Jesus? Okay, the word is a favorite for yelling preachers in the southern part of our country. But what does it mean? Where did it come from? The Greek word for sanctify is hagiazo. It means to make holy. Jesus prays in John 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Paul writes to the early Christians in Thessalonica, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. 
May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification is the lifelong process of becoming the kind of person you were called to be, a person who looks more and more like Jesus. Have you ever noticed that certain companies, uh, organizations, they have these slogans, but the slogans don't really match reality, okay? Here are some honest company slogans uh, that really line up to what is true, okay? So Target, uh, here's their slogan, don't wear red unless you work here. Tupperware, have you ever wanted to throw away food, but just not now? Lay's, flavored air. Subway, let that bread smell soak into your clothes. Ikea, we throw in extra parts just to mess with you. So true. Nature Valley, crumbs everywhere. And finally, La Quinta Inn, Spanish for next to Denny's. Those are honest. Those are real. Those slogans match the brand. They match reality. Sanctification is the process of us living up to our name. To be sanctified is to be true to our name, Christian, little Christ. A sanctified person is one who looks more and more like Jesus, and it is a huge part of what it means to be a Christian. Now, can we measure our sanctification? Maybe. I think we should try. We should look at our lives and see if we're living more and more like Jesus. Am I growing? Uh, am I more sensitive to my bad choices? Am I keeping shorter accounts? Do I have a critical spirit? Do I realize that I can be a jerk sometimes? Is there growth? Uh, that person that used to get me all bent out of shape, it doesn't happen as much anymore. Uh, I'm praying for them now, even though a part of me wants to curse them. I lose my temper less. I forgive more. Your attitude, your integrity, your demeanor, your countenance, your patience, your love. Those are ways to measure your sanctification. Siloan, a 20th century monk from Mount Athos, says it this way. How can you know whether you are walking in truth or living a delusion? How can you discern if you are enlightened by God or deceived by the devil? There are two easy and completely reliable tests, humility and enemy love. Grace produces humility and love of enemies. It just does. If I'm an ignorant ass who treats his enemies harshly, no amount of religious striving can change that. My hubris only magnifies my hate and baptizes it in self-righteousness. That's what makes enemy love the great litmus test for the truth. For Saint Siloan, the best way to measure you, how sanctified you are it's not about how much Bible you know or you've memorized. It's not about how often you go to church. It's about enemy love and being humble. So how can we grow in our sanctification? How can we actually look more and more like Jesus? What are some practical things? I'm going to give you three things that have played a huge role in my own spiritual journey. Now there are countless more, but we're gonna slim it down to just three. Listening, praying, walking. Really basic. Okay, now there are lots of parents to young children in our church. You've seen some of our kids on the screens thus far for Next Gen Sunday. I myself am one of those parents. And one of the most frustrating parts of parenting young children is 
It's when they don't listen to you. Amen? When they're playing a game or they're on their tablets and you say, Dex, 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 and they're completely oblivious to someone calling them by the only name they've ever known. So it's frustrating when they don't listen, but also when you tell them to do something and then they don't do it. That's also very frustrating. Last summer, Sarah and I were going to take the kids to a movie and we were running late, but it's no big deal to miss the previews. And I remember saying, all right, kids, get your shoes on, get in the car. But one of my kids just got in the car and didn't put their shoes on. So we arrive in the parking lot just a few minutes before the movie should start and we unbuckle our seatbelts and one of my kids says, where are my shoes? And we're like, what? And they said, why didn't you guys make me put my shoes on? As if them going barefoot to the movies is our fault. And I look at them and I go, you need to listen. Do you want to know what phrase Jesus said the most? Now, I think it's gonna surprise you. It's this, he who has an ear, let him hear. Jesus is quoted as saying those words eight times in the Gospels. And he says a variation of those words seven times in the book of Revelation. That's a total of 15 times, okay? You could do the math. Perhaps we should take his words more seriously. He or she who has an ear, let them hear. I think that part of our sanctification is listening. It's having open ears, not closed ears. Are you hearing this? We should be listening. We shouldn't close our ears. As Christians, we should listen. We should be attentive, listening to God, listening to God through others. Did you know that one of the primary ways the Holy Spirit speaks to us is through other people? It's through our circumstances. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And when you are really listening, there should be movement. My wife reminds me of this often, okay? She's sharing and I'm not moving. Maybe we're laying in bed and she's talking and I'm just staring at the TV, which is on pause. And she's like, are you listening? And I'm like, yes. And she says something like, then say something, nod your head. Your posture and your movement lets me know that you're with me. If you're listening, there should be movement. And there should be movement in our walk with Christ, in our sanctification. And that's why Jesus says, follow me. He never says, stay right there. Listening is a part of sanctification. Are your ears open? How are you doing with this? What might God be saying to you through your current circumstances, through your current frustrations? Listen in. The second thing that has helped me look more and more like Jesus, the second thing that has been a part of my ongoing sanctification is praying. The only thing that the disciples of Jesus asked him to teach them was how to pray. You know what one of my pet peeves is as a pastor? It's when someone asks me, would you get things started with a little prayer? And I've never said it, but I wanna respond with, I sure won't because there's no such thing as little prayers. And today I would like to introduce you to a short prayer, but it is not a little prayer. It's called the Jesus Prayer, and it originated in the Egyptian desert 
400 years after the time of Jesus with the early desert fathers and mothers. And it is a prayer that is still prayed today by Christians all over the world, most commonly in the Orthodox traditions. The prayer is this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Short, a shortened version of this prayer is Kiri Elysion. It means, Lord, have mercy. Now, when I say Kiri Elysion, how many of you thought of the Mr. Mr. song from the 1980s, okay? Uh, or when I say, Lord, have mercy, how many of you thought of Uncle Jesse have mercy. in the 1990s? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I repeat this prayer often alone with God, every morning and every night. Now, I don't recite it just one time. I recite it several times. Now, some of you, like me, grew up Catholic, or you had church experiences where repeating a prayer that is memorized kind of became routine, and at some point, it didn't mean anything anymore. It was just what you said. And then, some of us, we got into churches where spontaneity in prayer was the best way to pray. And if you were in a group and you could pray loud with fervor and passion and clarity and you could be spontaneous, well, that was when it really meant something. And so some of us did this course correct. But hear this, not all repetition is meaningless and not all spontaneity is meaningful. The Jesus prayer helps me surrender the notions of God that made him my servant or my genie my sugar daddy, my Santa Claus. The Jesus prayer helps me let go of the vending machine God, to know that I am a child in his arms, not a beggar at his door. Now, I love this prayer on so many levels. Here are just a few. The prayer identifies God's primary disposition toward us as loving mercy. We talked about this last week in our atonement uh, sermon. The Jesus prayer does not unleash God's mercy towards us. It orients us to it. God's mercy is an infinite waterfall that never ceases. It never runs dry. We don't turn the tap on. Rather, the Jesus prayer is just one of many ways that helps position our heart beneath that flow and willingly receive God's kindness with open hands because mercy is a key ingredient in our sanctification. Perhaps the Jesus prayer will help you on your journey as well as we inhale Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, and we exhale whatever we need to release with every have mercy on me, a sinner. Praying and listening. These help us look more and more like Jesus. And having a listening posture in prayer is important. Okay, combining these two together. I think that there are three postures that we often take with us in prayer. See where you might find yourselves. The first posture is the clenched fist. Now, this is not a posture that you actually do with a clenched fist going before God. Maybe it is, but it's a symbol of what our spirit is feeling. So with your left hand, would you make a tight fist and then just look at it? And the fist represents our impulse to act independently of God. When we don't see God acting as we had expected or hoped, we're tempted to take matters into our own hands. We might try and force God's hand, triggering a chaotic series of events that 
Uh, it's like we have this raised fist of revolution, a force. Some of the words that I see in this fist are grasping, clinging, scheming, manipulating, mastering, making, taking. It's not a waiting hand. It's not a serving hand. It's not a patient. It's, it's the hand of like, if God's not going to do something, I will. And this willfulness, it can masquerade as initiative, boldness, courage, as we make this suicide charge out of the foxhole and into the minefield of life. I'm going to do something. But the clenched fist, there is no listening in this posture. There is no waiting. Posture two, uh, the limp wrist. Once bitten, twice shy. So when we act independently of God, things go very badly. The crash leaves us jaded, lethargic. We got compassion fatigue and we're left paralyzed. So hold out your left hand in front of you. Palm down and let your wrist go as limp as possible. Think Adam in Michelangelo's painting, The Creation of Adam. And it represents resignation. We may refuse to participate in the kingdom life expecting God to act independently of us. When we don't see God acting as if we, as we wanted, as we hoped, or as we demanded, we're tempted to sit on the sidelines as depressed observers or cynical critics. Words I see in this lethargic or wounded hand are fatigue, despair, passivity, acquiescence. Does your spirit go with this posture? This is the hand that would say, if God won't do something, why should I? And it can masquerade as patience or reflection, but it's not. And finally, posture three, open hands. Take both hands, open them in front of you, palms up like an expectant child. These are the hands of receptivity, willing and waiting on God's grace in the person of Christ. Expect the mercy of Christ but don't project what God must do. Listening, praying, and finally, walking. I love that the New Testament uses walking as a common metaphor. I think because it's so relatable. Walking shows progress. You can't walk and get nowhere unless you're on a treadmill, which wasn't, weren't around 2,000 years ago. If you've been a walker for any length of time, you know that there will be some stumbles. You will lose your footing. And also, someone's gonna trip you up. But we keep walking. Love this metaphor. Ephesians 5, one and two. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And it's 2 John 1, 6, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. When I was in high school, I played football, and I wasn't the biggest guy. And there were times, not that often, but sometimes, when some very big football players would tackle me and crush me. And when I am on the grass, in pain, Looking for my pride and my self-respect, I remember debating, should I just stay down? And then the coach would say something like, hey Richardson, walk it off. 
walk it off. Or sometimes this would happen on the baseball field, right? I'm in the batter's box, the fastball's coming in hot, I try and get out of the way, and the ball strikes me right in my leg. I immediately fall. Everyone winces in the crowd. When you hear my pitch, you can hear the crowd say, ooh. And once the gasping ceases, you hear the third base coach say, walk it off, John, walk it off. Somehow, some way, that helped me 20 years ago. It helped me pick myself up off the grass. It helped me move towards first base. And walking it off helps me now. When I say walk it off, I mean it in three different levels. I mean it literally, I mean it metaphorically, and I mean it vicariously, okay? Literally, in your trials, in your suffering, in your struggles, shortcomings, go for a walk, walk it off. Sometimes, one of the best things that we can do for our heart is to walk it off. Walk it off, walk it out, walk it off. It hurts, God, I'm frustrated, I need your help. Walk with me, God, walk it off. Some of you have been going through some heavy stuff. Some of you couples are going through some struggles. Go for a walk. Our bodies and our spirits are connected. And so I mean it literally. Some of us need to walk it off. Walk it off. I also mean it metaphorically. Your relationship with God is a walk, so walk with him. The very first disciples, walking was the activity that they did most with Jesus. And so no matter the bonehead decisions that these disciples made, Jesus walked beside them. And he walks beside us still. And then finally, when I say walk it off, I mean it vicariously. Walk your relationship with God out by putting yourself in someone else's shoes. If you have judgment towards someone, if you have bitterness towards someone, if you have enmity towards someone, put yourself in their shoes, walk it off. This helps us be sanctified. It makes us less judgmental, more forgiving, more compassionate, more grace, choosing to see what's best in us, choosing to see the image of God in the other, more like Jesus. I think it was F.B. Meyer who said that when we see a brother or sister in sin, there are three things we do not know. First, we do not know how hard he or she tried not to sin. Second, we do not know the power of the forces that assailed him or her. And third, we also don't know what we would have done in the same circumstances. So we as Christians, as followers of Christ, should be the most loving and non-judgmental people in the world. As we walk, we walk it off. And Jesus walks next to us in the midst of our pain, even in the midst of our judgment of others. This is a part of our sanctification as we listen, 
as we pray, as we walk, may we look more and more like Jesus. God, I pray that you would sanctify us. Help us to live and love more like your son. And Spirit, indwell us and move us in this direction, God, as we follow you, as we listen, as we move, as we pray, as we walk. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week is the finale of our Church Word Sermon Series, and we're going to be looking at the concept of salvation. We pray God's peace and blessings upon you and God's protection and healing for those affected by the wildfires in Maui. Grace and peace.